invite you at this time to turn in your pew Bibles to page 1896, where we find our scripture reading tonight, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. Start in the reading in verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, Now, seeing as I um, am what you might call a fantasy, science fiction, book nerd, whenever I think about uh, the end times, whenever I think about... um, um, Apocalypse, Armageddon. You could probably think of a number of uh, Hollywood depictions of this uh, reality. Um, Some of which are so awful, so unbiblical. Um, The worst of which, I could say, even tries to be Christian, left behind. But one of the ones that I think about um, comes from two British authors, Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett. And if you know anything about um, British authors, British sense of humor, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very, um, it's very on the point. And uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote a book called Good Omens. And the whole premise of the book 
is about the birth of the son of Satan and the coming of the end times. Um, the problem is there's two, there's two, there's an angel and there's a demon, an angel named Aziraphel and, and a demon named Crowley, who have started to like humanity and like people and like the way that they've learned how to live on earth because they've been there since the beginning. Um, that they decide to come together as a team to sabotage the coming of the end times in order to prolong the comfort of their uh, living uh, that they've, they've, they've come to have grown accustomed to in England. And so it's obviously all fictional, but it gives us an idea of how the world looks at this concept that the Bible speaks very clearly about in categories of truth. Um, it's a joke. Um, that in the Good Omens book, the end of the world is not actually about getting rid of all that's bad in the world and keeping and bringing through into the new heavens and the new earth all that is good. Rather, it's depicted as the end of the world means the end of all good things. And so much so that a demon and an angel have to work together to make sure they stop God from doing what God has planned. And the funny thing about British humor is that at the end of this book, when they've sabotaged the end of uh, the world, the end times and all that stuff, um, the demon and the angel who've, who've become sort of strange friends say, well, this must have been God's plan all along because God's plan is ineffable. And if this happened, then this is what God ordained to happen. You kind of have to get British humor to get uh, the sort of joke that they're, they're getting after. But um, it does give us a picture of the way the world looks at this, this concept, this, uh, this truth of the day of the Lord, the end of the world. Our theme tonight, as we await the purification of the world, We let the Lord purify our lives. As we await the purification of the Lord, we let the Lord purify our lives. We have three points tonight. The first is the day of the Lord. The end is coming. Second, the people of the Lord. And third, the promise of the Lord.
Let's look first at this first point together. The day of the Lord. That probably won't be the, the last time that happens. Verse 10. After Peter has gone on to say, this is what is going to happen in the end times, the end of days, right? Uh, people are going to say, they're going to be scoffers, they're going to say, this end is never going to come. Um, but uh, Peter says, don't forget thing, this, this one thing. Uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So... The Lord says, uh, Peter says, the reason why things keep going on as they are is because the Lord has a purpose in extending the time that we have here on earth. And the purpose is so that every single person that Jesus died for on the cross would come to faith in him. Um, That every single one of the elect would be filled up. The numbers would be all tallied, okay? And so that's why uh, the Lord is being patient. That's why the Lord is letting things happen as they go. But then Peter doesn't want his audience to be lulled into this sense of, um, of what the scoffers were saying. Things just go on the way that they were going on, and nothing is changing. So he, he says something that's very important because he says something that sort of echoes the words that Jesus spoke about the coming day of the Lord, and also echoes some words that Paul speaks of in the coming day of the Lord. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief, you know, you hear in other places, in the night, right? A thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, if you know your biblical um, uh, theology, if you know redemptive history, then you would know that this Phrase the day of the Lord is weighted with all kinds of connotations, with all kinds of prophetic imagery, with all kinds of references in the Old Testament about what would happen the day of the Lord, okay? In fact, there is this um, progressive sense of the day of the Lord that in one sense when Christ came, when his arrival came, when he was brought as a baby to the temple, if you read Malachi, that's the day of the Lord. That's the coming day of the Lord when, when the Lord would show up at his temple in judgment, when the Lord would come and purify, right? And you get this sense also in, in other quotations like, like Joel, the very uh, thing that Peter references on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And, and, and Peter says, this is what Joel the prophet said, that your young men would prophesy, your old men would prophesy because the Spirit in those days, in the day of the Lord, would be poured out, right? And, that, and that's why last Sunday when we were talking about end times, I said, I said we are... People of the end times. We are end times people. We are last days people. Because from the moment in which Jesus came, lived, died, resurrected, ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, poured out the Holy Spirit, we are living in the last days. Those days all the way until the last day. And so there's a sense in which we are living in the realm of last day's things. But there is also an ultimate completion 
culmination of this imagery of the day of the Lord. And what people thought was all of its fulfillment and the coming of Christ actually gets extended because Christ, remember what he said to his disciples at the beginning of the book of Acts. His disciples came to him and his disciples said, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you now going to do this that the the prophets speak about? That you are going to reign over all the nations and the peoples and your kingdom shall have no end. Your dominion shall have no end. And Jesus did not say, no, that's not how my kingdom is. My kingdom is not of this world. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say that to him. He said, it is not your place to know the times or the, right? And then he ascended up into the clouds. And we know to be in his session, right? Seated at the right hand of the Father. And then an angel appears and an angel says, Hey, stop lollygagging around. Get to work. He'll come back the way you saw him leave. We are now in that period between Christ's first ascension and his second descension. You see what I'm saying? We are now in the same place that the apostles were, waiting, except they are, we're no longer waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, right? Where they saw Jesus leave saying, I will come back to bring to culmination the restoration of the kingdom. But it's not right now, so get to work. And that coming day is what Peter is now speaking of here when he says, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord now that awaits us in the future. The final one, unlike when the Old Testament prophets spoke of the coming of Christ, unlike when the Old Testament prophets spoke of the coming redemptive event of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the only future day of the Lord for us is the return of Jesus Christ, our King, to judge the living and the dead. And that's what Peter is speaking of. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Well, how does a thief come? Well, back in the day, thieves weren't so bold as to walk into a Walgreens in the middle of the day, grab something, and walk out because they know the policy is nobody's going to touch them. Back in the day, thieves wouldn't steal things off your porch when the sun is at its highest point. The point of making this reference of saying that the day of the Lord will come like a thief is to give us the the expectation, to give us the message that we need to be on guard because the day, uh, the, the thief comes in the night. The thief sneaks. The thief comes in by surprise. The thief does not come in expected. A thief does not call you up and say, hey, I want you to know that at about 3.15 next Thursday, I plan on robbing your house. So just make sure you're not there um, because I'm going to have a gun. And make sure you leave all your valuables, okay? Thank you. A thief doesn't do that. A thief comes by surprise. A thief comes in secret. A thief comes at night. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, meaning 
even though it might seem like things go on as they always have, one day, just like that, Christ will come again. And this is Peter's description of what will happen on the day of the Lord. He already referenced it already when he said in verse 7, by the, word, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But he says in more detail here, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. If you see the textual reference there, it says some manuscripts state be burned up. Um, but what I get from this uh, message is, is refining. There is a sense in which um, when Christ comes again, there is going to be a burning in which all the things that are impure are burned up, are burned away. And all that is left is what is pure, what is good, what is righteous, what is holy. Right? And you might say, well, Carrie, there isn't much of that in, in, in the world. Well, okay, well, whatever is of that is what will remain after this purification, this refiner's fire. The way that the book of Hebrews describes this is that right now the Lord is shaking things. And so that what cannot be shaken will remain. What cannot be shaken will remain. And so, just like the world that was before, like in the flood, was drowned in water, Peter says what's different about this coming day of the Lord, unlike that day of the Lord, is that this will come, the day of the Lord will come with a purifying, refiner's fire. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And so, he now then turns to the discussion about how are we, as the people of God, meant to respond to this reality. And this is one of the I would argue one of the most profound passages about uh, the anticipation of the coming day of the Lord um, because it talks about it is such a direct application to us, to where we are. You know, so many people will say, the book of Revelation is just so confusing to me. There's so much prophetic imagery it's an apocalyptic book. It's about visions. Um, it's about as confusing to me as the book of Ezekiel is. Okay? And if you've read the book of Ezekiel, then you can understand why uh, the History Channel writes stories about ancient aliens 
from Ezekiel. There's wheels and eyes and, and all kinds of stuff, okay? And Revelation is, is like that too. And so some people are intimidated at, about the study of the book of Revelation because it's about this topic about end times. Yet it's also so cryptic and so confusing. And so they say, hey, I'm not a, a, a post-millennialist. I'm not an amillennialist. I'm not a premillennialist. I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. Right? But although I understand that frustration, I do believe that God's word is clear enough that we can grasp messages from it. And so I don't think we should be intimidated by the book of Revelation because it speaks of end times, because it has this imagery, because it has so much references to prophecies in the Old Testament. But if you are intimidated, about Revelation in particular because what's its application to our lives right now where we stand, then what I would recommend to you is that you take Second Peter's reference to the coming judgment to the day of the Lord here and use it as an interpretive lens for the application that you are to find in the book of Revelation. Because Peter says... The day of the Lord is coming, right? Judgment is coming. Christ is going to come again. And he says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people? Ought you to be. Because there's going to be a refiner's fire at the coming day of the Lord when Jesus comes again. That's going to burn everything to the ground. That is going to, to melt away the elements. The heavens that you see right now, they're going to disappear. Like a, You're going to look up at the sky and it's not going to be the sky that you are used to looking at. And the earth and everything in it is going to be laid bare. What kind of people make it through that? What kind of people make it through that? And he says, those who live holy and godly lives. Those who live holy and godly lives. Those who live holy and godly lives. This is not Peter saying some sort of works-based salvation, right? This is not Peter saying that if you hope to, to survive the coming day of the Lord, you best be the kind of people that when God's refining fire comes, that all he finds in you is holiness and godliness so that you aren't burned up. That's just impossible. You know, We're not going to be that kind of people uh, without any imperfection, without any remaining flesh, sinful nature, clinging to us. Um, in fact, the Heidelberg Catechism tells us that all our good works um, are filled with imperfections. Um, and, and the only reason that they are accepted is because they are accepted in Christ on the basis of His uh, faithfulness and righteousness. What Peter is saying is that when we consider 
that the day of the Lord is coming. When we remember that it's coming at a time that's unexpected, that even Jesus himself said he did not know, that it will come by surprise, then there is a truth to the long-standing analogy that um, you should be looking busy when the boss shows up. Is it because we, um, we're meant as Christians to be frightened of God's appearing? Is it because um, in some way um, we, we fear that if God shows up and we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we will then not be ex- accepted, not be welcomed? No, that's not the case. No, the case is that if you love and respect your father, and your father says, hey, I've got to go run out and do an errand. While I'm gone, um, would you clean your room? And you look at your father and you say, yes, Father, because I love you and I respect you. I will clean my room. And so your father leaves. And um, you go back to playing your video games. and, And your father comes back and says, I thought you said you would clean your room. You didn't clean your room. Well, I do love and respect you. Um, I just forgot. You know, what you see in that is that you can say that you love and respect somebody all you want. You can use words. But the reality of true life change and transformation is seen in when those words go hand in hand with the actions that correspond with it. And Peter is saying that if we truly are transformed Christians, if we truly love our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, that we not only are changed in the things that we say, we really do love you, we really do care for you because you saved us, but also in the things that we do, word and deed. So that we want nothing more, we desire nothing more than the day We look at our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. When he appears, that we could say to him, your grace and your mercy and your powerful salvation has been at work in me. And I am so thankful. I'm so thankful to show you the fruits of your labor. What kind of people should we be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. And listen to what Peter says after that. As you look forward to the day of God and speed 
It's coming. Is Peter really saying that we, as the people of, of God, can bring forward, move forward, speed the coming of the day of the Lord? This is what Peter is saying by that. We understand that God has ordained all things, but God uses means, right? And if what God is being patient for is that every single one of the elect would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would would come to confess and profess faith in Jesus Christ, then one means that God uses is our testimony and our witness, That when you share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody else and they come to believe in Jesus Christ and they come to give their life over to Jesus Christ, you've brought the day of the Lord one more elect person closer to come. Right? But also another means that God uses in this world are prayers. Your prayers are effective. When you pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. When you pray, Lord, there is so much trial, so much tribulation. Lord, may you swiffen, may you bring closer, may you come quickly. Those prayers are effective. In speeding the coming of the day of the Lord. And so your holy and godly lives are actively, effectively bringing forward the day of the Lord in your faithful witness and testimony, in your fervent prayers and, and petitions and, and, uh, um, and prayers to the Lord. You are ushering in quicker and quicker, more and more of that coming day of the Lord. And then Peter says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. You're getting his continued repetition of this imagery of fire and melting and heat. But he wants to end with something that's important. He wants to end with uh, what we are anticipating, what we are looking forward to. The promise of the Lord. It's not all spooky bad. It's not all fire burn. It's not all um, that kind of imagery. And so Peter wants to make this clear. He says, in keeping with his promise... Keeping with his promise. This is the second time that Peter's mentioned promise. In verse 9, he said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Um, What is this promise that he's referring to? Um, This promise is the restoration of all things. You see, some people are confused by Peter's imagery here because he seems 
to, to be saying that everything will be destroyed when the Lord comes again, that all of this will be wiped out by fire. Um, but one of the things we have to keep in mind is that in the book of Revelation, we are told uh, that Christ comes not to make all new things. Right? But to make all things new. So there is a sense of restoration. There is a sense of goodness to the world and to us. That when God created in Genesis, he said, it is good, it is very good, that it is actually sin, that it is actually the curse, corruption, that has made it the way it is now. And what God is doing is not getting rid of everything that he made and starting all over again, but rather a restoration, a purifying, a getting rid of the sin that entered into this world, the curse that was the result of that sin. These are the things that are being taken away. These are the things that are being taken out. And so, Peter says the promise that we are looking forward to is a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And one of the things that um, R.C. Sproul would often say is that as you, um, as you get older, you really do grow in, in holiness and in godliness. And that's what Peter is calling us to as we look to the day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord. Um, but the other thing you also do is you grow more acutely and deeply aware of your own fragility, your own sinfulness. Right? It becomes more specific and deeper. It's not just about the general sin of pride, but it's about the fact that you have pride in these specific situations, circumstances, details. It's a deep-seated pride. It's a pride that God is continuing to um, uproot in your life and get rid of. And so there's this tension of growing in godliness and holiness, but all we also growing in our awareness of our sinfulness and the things that um, we struggle with. Um, and when I read those words, the home of righteousness, I think of what the book of Revelation says of that new city, the new Jerusalem, right? Um, its gates will be open um, and, and there will be no sin there. There will be no corruption there. The no, no cowards can enter into those gates. No, 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 uh, no corruption, no, no corrupt thing can enter into those gates. Um, it tells me something um, because even though I'm young, I'm 32 now, um, as I continue to grow more aware of my sinfulness, uh, my struggle with the flesh, the world, the devil, um, maybe at some time, at one point, I would have said that the, the, most, the thing that I'm most excited about uh, when it comes to the, the, the heaven, the new heavens and the new earth that awaits us, is that I'll get to see my loved ones again. Or, um, of course, you know, that, that I'll get to see um, Jesus. Or I'll get to meet some 
you know, famous Christian that you've always wanted to have a conversation with or whatnot. But actually, as I grow older, one of the things that um, I treasure about that future reality is that I will no longer struggle with sin. It's not just that I will get to be with Jesus, but I will also get to be with Jesus unhindered by those selfish things in me that keep me from truly enjoying Jesus the way that I wish I could. It's not just that I'll get to see friends and family and loved ones that have passed on, but all the brokenness and the tension and the hurt that was caused between us because of sin and corruption will no longer be there, and all that will be there is perfect joy and communion and union with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that is the place of righteousness, where righteousness dwells. Where there is no more sin, no more corruption. That is a promise that we're looking forward to. And I think often about um, question and answer 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? How is that a comfort for you? When you read in Second Peter this language of this fire and this... Um, purification, right? And the answer that the catechism gives is, in all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God and so has removed the whole curse from me. All his enemies and mine, he will condemn to everlasting punishment, but me and all his chosen ones, he will take along with him into the joy and glory of heaven. That's what awaits us in the future. As we await the purification of the world, of all the world, we let the Lord purify our lives until that purification has come to culmination when we set our eyes upon Jesus, our Savior, and are transformed. Um, The day of the Lord might come like a thief and might be filled with fire, um, but for a believer... It is a comfort because we've already been judged. Um, And what awaits us is the culmination of our salvation and exaltation. So may we, in these days, live godly and holy lives as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming by our works, by our testimony, by our prayers, by our faithfulness. Amen. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would know that we desire to grow in godliness and holiness that we desire to have a powerful testimony and witness, that we desire to pray more and more for that coming day, and that you would call us to do whatever we can and must do in these days to be used as your means to bring others to salvation in Jesus Christ, to pray for the Lord's coming and quicken its coming. And we pray, Lord, that we would not lose sight of the promise We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness.
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.